It's The Luminaries with David Odyssey. Happy Pride, baby. This time, I'm joined by Brooklyn Drag Crown Jewel and Legends of Drag co-creator Harry James Hansen to talk about the one and only Sylvester. But first, thoughts on The Mirror Has Two Faces with Barbara Streisand, Reese Beach, Emily Nussbaum, and voting. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to the fifth dimension. Listen, we do not have too much to get into uh, before the bulk of the show. I will say, listen, this is a very special episode, uh, not just because, uh, you know, who better to celebrate for Pride than Sylvester, but um, our our special guest is my, my dear roommate and... Um, a Brooklyn a doll and obviously the founder of Legends of Drag, which is the cure to everything that is wrong with this country. Uh, let's just be clear about that. Uh, what I do just want to cover is, all right, I did watch The Mirror Has Two Faces, which is a Barbra Streisand movie I had never seen, um, and I guess I had written it off. I, okay. First of all, and I cannot believe I'm saying this. Jeff Bridges is hot. Like, I never I, I never realized it because, like, I grew up with the Big Lebowski. Um, but in... Okay. When Barbara Streisand finds a Gentile to terrorize, their sexuality is never more pronounced because it's never more repressed. So we have the Ryan O'Neill factor. Obviously, we know Ryan O'Neill is a sexual lunatic, but in... What's up, Doc? Um, by being repressed and like uh, the sub, basically, uh, it's like you know, it's reverse psychology. It's totally jacked up, right? Okay. Um, meanwhile, Jeff Bridges, he looks great in the movie. He like he's really smart and he's very comedic and he knows that this is a Barbara Streisand joint and there are certain rules to play. Um, the movie is, I loved it. It's of course psychotic. And of course, what is the subject matter? You know, it's Barbara Streisand or Joan Rivers. So the subject matter is going to be about how she's not pretty enough. Okay. Uh, Mimi Rogers is great. Lauren Bacall or as, uh, Dionna Vreeland would call her Betty Bacall. Uh, fantastic. The idea is that Barbara Streisand is like so homely that no one will, <laughs> no one wants to be with her. And then there's like a really crazy 90s makeover montage that is very politically suspect. But, well, there's a few things. First of all, they they play professors at Columbia and this there's a scene of her teaching her like archetypal literature class and there's like 150 students and they are all mesmerized by her and I have to I mean hello she's a, a Leo rising but I have to say like I was like you know what this looks fun and I want this fantasy for myself and I you know there were things that I really thought that the movie did well which is like most romantic comedies are bad most romantic comedies um don't have any like occasion or situating of the characters like why is Katherine Heigl meeting this man this because it was all set in Columbia it made sense first of all and secondly I love that the movie starts where they're like, okay, Barbra Streisand is not like a harried career woman hag who just needs love. She's actually like 
very um, at ease and joyful in her work and, like, is beloved. And it's not like she's some um, ego monot... You know, I'm thinking about Annette Bening in The Women, which, by the way, I think she's excellent in that role, but you know what I'm talking about, okay? Where they take Miranda Hobbs and just crank her up to a thousand. Anyways, I will also say the movie did make me tear up at points because... Before she can get with Jeff Bridges, Barbara Streisand is hooking up with, like, who she perceives to be, like, an ugly loser. And midway through the movie, she finds him and his fiance, and he's, like, really happy. I don't know. It just... it And all... I don't know. The, it, it It's good. I, I hate to say that it's good. I mean, it's ridiculous, but it's also good. And, like, she did it again. Okay? Um... You know, and I wish that Amy Schumer's I Feel Pretty had, had like, gotten there. You know what I mean? Um, I am reading Emily Nussbaum's book. Emily Nussbaum classically was the TV critic at The New Yorker. She gave the job over to Doreen St. Felix, who I am rooting for, but who I am still... Let's see. Um, but, um, you know... She's, like, my hero, and I've definitely made her uncomfortable at several New Yorker panels where I've, like, gone up afterwards to talk to her, and she's like, who is this faggot? Um, She's thinking that. She didn't say that. Um, She's lovely. Um, Anyway, so reading the book, which is mostly a collection of her New Yorker pieces, um, I don't know. It's just been, like, it's been amazing, And, and, and I just read her piece on Harvey Weinstein and Woody Allen, and it was just, like, ugh. It was so, it was such a relief to read something like complex and non-moralistic and like, I don't know, uh, my friend Abe uh, Reisman from The New Yorker, previous guest of the show, um, who wrote the memoir on Stan Lee last year, uh, he just wrote uh, a long piece about his grandfather, who was this like Long Island Zionist um kind of blowhard and kind of like um political mover and and his reckoning with that and i just feel like it isn't moralistic and it's like abe's point of view is as someone who is not like his grandfather at all is very clear but there's also just this idea of like this is a fucked up thing and like let's just actually deal with it rather than like you know i, I I am just traumatized from et cetera, et cetera on uh, Drag Race Down Under saying that racism is wrong. Thank you um, so much for that. I am really grateful for anything I can read that gives um, a sense of like, how do you reckon with something that th- that's really, really, really big and that's like, it affects your upbringing your parentage your gender your economic status your entire identity okay um obviously emily Nussbaum's review of the comeback is tattooed in my mind and and i've thought you know the last line of that review is um in a in the lifelong staring match with the camera valerie cherish won't be the first to blink okay i have goosebumps Okay. Um, um, anyways, I am also almost done with Detransition Baby. Loving it. Um, and, oh my god, my new tarot deck just arrived in the mail. It is fucking bananas. It's Tavaglioni. I don't know who that is. It's from 1991. Shipped from Italy. I don't know. I don't know. You know... I am understanding there are some Marseille purists who have been uh, influencing me, and I understand. I just, like, like collecting pretty tarot decks and, like, let me have this, okay? Hi. Um, I had a very good day at Reese Beach on Sunday. I just want to say my, like, faith has been restored and thanks to recovery and therapy, and thanks to the the breakdown of the um, 
stratifying uh, Saturnian forces of my body image dysmorphia, warped uh, sexual projection and uh, ideation, I feel... I don't know. It was the first time I could be there on a weekend and just like not feel like an attack was coming or an ambush was coming and understand like, oh, there's hot people here. Why don't you like vibe? Um, So that gives me hope. And I actually do feel optimistic about pride after all of my negativity and grumbling. I'm like, oh, let's have fun. I really need to blow off steam. Um, I did vote. I want to say, as always, of course, you know, uh, voting is under attack in this country. But what I have learned living in a uh, populous liberal metropolis like New York is that um, volunteering is humiliating. Um, as always, the volunteer there were more volunteers at my voting center than there were voters. Many of them were... Anyways... I was just having flashbacks to when I used to run the LA, one of the West Hollywood phone bank for Barack Obama in 2012. Um, you know, I hope that with the Aquarian mutual aid uh, technological revolution we're in, we can um, find a better use for people who want to make a difference now more than ever. I don't really know what this is a criticism of. Everything is fine. Okay. Um, naturally if you need sylvester rex hit me up um and you know thank you for listening i cannot believe it was the longest season of of gemini in history so i hope some relief is here um see you on the other side okay happy pride uh we are doing the chart of someone who truly does make me excited to be gay for once, uh, and that is Sylvester. To do this, I have recruited the person who made me a Sylvester addict, the person who is responsible for my personal uh, creative style, social, um, (laughs) spiritual, and emotional revolution, uh, my roommate, Harry James Hansen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me in your gorgeous home. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. Decole um, by Harry. To talk about um, someone I love very deeply, Sylvester. So uh, this is one where I really want to lay out a lot about the subject before we even get mm. into the astrology, just because Sylvester is a, has a there's a million contradictions and Sylvester is so unique for a million reasons. So, first of all, I just want to know about how you got into Sylvester and became uh, a historian. Oh gosh. Um you know, I think it's because let's see, like 3 or 4 years ago I started listening to all of like the Italo disco I could find. Um, which then, cause like, I've always loved Grace Jones since I was like in my faggot infancy. Um, and so she was sort of my like anchor reference point, um, father of disco. Um, and so then I started listening to a lot of Italo disco and then that led me back to American disco and Sylvester. Um, and I also have a lot of friends in, um, San Francisco, um, where she was a local legend before she had international fame. Um, so they also were um, telling me about her and introduced me to her music. I do love that Grace Jones would be the king of disco and Sylvester would be is the queen. Absolutely. Of disco. In the fag world, I think so. And um, Sylvester, I mean, the first thing that I was thinking about today when I was looking at their chart, and we'll get into this, is like, <laughs> I think Sylvester would love to be alive today, but also would hate to be alive today. Mm-hmm. Because I think Sylvester is someone who would never want to have to tell you what their pronouns are. Right. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like Sylvester just defied everything and still does in this really, like, kind of unbelievable way, to yeah. me at least. Yeah. She was, you know, hurtling toward an authentic utopia before it was chic to do so. Um, Her music is transcendent, certainly. Uh, Disco is transcendent as a genre. And I think, um, you know, the way she lived her life was always very genre-defying. 
um, and, uh, you know, famously quipped to Joan Rivers that she is not a drag queen. She's just Sylvester. Um, which, uh, you know, kudos to her for clapping back, setting the record straight. Um, you know, of course, she did do drag, even though she wasn't a drag queen. Right. Um, the nuances of which are still, and I realize this is sort of naive on my part, but I happen to know a lot of older drag queens um, <laughs> as part of my work. And I've come to appreciate that a lot of them don't like the term drag queen. You know, it's like, just because you're doing drag doesn't mean you're a drag queen. And Sylvester, I think, rightly didn't want to be pigeonholed that way. Um, you know, sort of like ghettoized because she's like a gay, feminine, black artist. It's interesting because I interviewed Jake Shears from the Scissor Sisters a few years ago, and they had this interesting dichotomy, which was like, if they were making camp music, they they were making camp music, but when like the media would call them a camp band, it's suddenly like, okay, you don't get to... There's something, and I can see that with drag queens, which is, like, these people are doing drag, but the idea that, like, that label would get decided for them, mm-hmm. I can see that being very, like, well, wait a minute. Right. Like, we haven't decided what the terms of this are. Right. Totally. Um, yeah, and, like, you know, when you're in the club and you're on the dance floor, like, no one's... People, especially, I feel like, in the days of Sylvester, like, you're not talking about your pronouns or your politics. <laughs> you're, like, sucking dick in the bathroom and, like, you know, sweating till you come. Like, Taking love in your own right. hands. It's, it's irrelevant in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting about Sylvester, just to start, uh, Sylvester's a Virgo. Mm-hmm. I always say that Virgo is the Sphinx because Virgo comes between Leo and Libra. So it's the body of the lion and the head of the goddess. So mm-hmm. Virgos do love. Virgo is all about what is my role? Like, what am I doing? What is my role? But Virgos definitely don't want anyone else to be on to that. Mm-hmm. So Virgos really do like to cultivate an air of mystery, but also Virgos... And I see this a lot when I was reading up about Sylvester's career is like, I I got a sense that when Sylvester got labeled with disco, Sylvester was like, okay, you know, like, I I get a sense that Sylvester's role as an artist or as like a personality in drag as a singer, Sylvester, it seemed like they were constantly changing and wanting to like keep transforming. And they were uncomfortable with the idea of like getting getting labeled or or fixed or or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, throughout her life, she had a lot of different phases and like different clicks that she rolled with too, and her look and her sound evolved along with that. Yes. Um, like she grew up in the church with like gospel music, which is I think you can really hear that in a lot of her tracks. Um, especially once she brought on um Martha Wash and Isora Rhodes, known later as the Weather Girls. And what as were they called originally? Originally, they were called Two Tons of Fun. Yes. And they were they also grew up in the church, and they were her backup singers um, during, you know, sort of the peak of her success. And so they really lend that, like, gospel sound. But Sylvester was also obsessed with, um, like, obscure blues artists um, that I can't even name. But for a while, she was, like, doing a blues act, like basically a Billie Holiday tribute act in San Francisco. Um, and so, um, yeah, so she also loved blues and soul and funk and gospel. And you can hear all of that in disco. And she had already been touring and making music, um, you know, for, God, I think close to a decade before she got into disco. And it was mm. sort of like, she was like, oh, I guess I'll give this a try. Like, I'll try it on for size, you know. And then, of course, um but even I felt like as disco was going down, and it's interesting because I think Grace Jones and Sylvester both have also in terms of the narrative, like uh, when disco was going down, Grace Jones was like, 
bitch, I don't care. I'll be a rock star and you won't even know. And I feel like Sylvester was also like, okay, well, don't link me to this thing that's crashing. Right. Yes. Well, also, like, gay people were still dancing to disco. Yes. When, like, you know, the bros were burning disco records at Wrigley Field or whatever, the gays decided that if the major labels were axing their disco departments, these independent labels were going to pop up that were just supporting disco artists. Um, And so Sylvester jumped to one of those labels. Mm, Okay. What I love about Sylvester's Virgo is that Sylvester's Virgo is in the third house of self-expression. Great. Mm. And Sylvester has their sun, Mercury, and Venus. Venus in Virgo is fallen. Mm. Um, And we were talking about this last week with MIA, who's a Venus Virgo, which is like, I love women who are Venus Virgos because I know quite a few um, who are comedians. There's this sense of like an outsider. It's an outsider Venus, and it's this Venus that's like so paying attention to the whole big picture because Virgo is so process oriented that I think it's interesting thinking about MIA and then with Sylvester because they both make pretty perfect music. Mm-hmm. And like, if you listen to a Sylvester track, it'll be eight minutes that is like. Doing what Virgo does, which is everything you just said, Virgo is, Virgo rules the lower intestines, Virgo is all about synthesis. So it's synthesizing these multiple different genres and vocal forms, but it's also like actually perfect music. (laughs) Like in terms of like the construction and the way that like, just like listening, I was listening to um, Lovin' is Really My Game today and it was just like, Mm. this is so um, like, textural and like the vocals the way that he's uh, that that she is synthesizing like new technology like i just think it's this really special venus virgo which is like sylvester is a part of these musical genres but there's also a bit of an outsider thing because it's a bit of an outsider I think of Venus in, Vir- in Virgo as an outsider, and I just think that they're able to kind of, like, see what everyone in the system is doing and then kind of, like, put their own spin on it. I mean, you know, two friends of the pod, Ruby McAllister and Catherine Cohen, are Venus Virgo. <laughs> I think there's a similar gift there. So I just wanted to point that out. And also, uh, a major element of this chart is that Sylvester has Jupiter in Scorpio, in the fifth house of creativity. So Jupiter is this planet of wisdom and knowledge gained. And when it's in this fifth house of creativity, especially in Scorpio, Scorpio is so in control. Mm. Um, I, I really think like the creative, and I think this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see like a big thing that goes on with Sylvester is like, they keep getting in these groups or these arrangements and like they keep being like um like i need more like um actually i'm better than you yeah yeah yes and most famously that's very true very um uh yes very astute observation i would say um most famously she was sort of a and again i say sort of um a member of the coquettes the, you know, hippie, anarchist, um, uh, you know, LSD-munching drag queens who lived in San Francisco in the late 60s, early 70s. And, um, you know, she always described her own role as being sort of peripheral, um, other uh, um, accounts from other cockettes, uh, you know, describe her as being, like, sort of shy when she was living at the commune with them. Like, she was always there, but sort of kept to herself. Um, And when the Coquettes were putting on these sort of, like, grand satirical reviews, um, uh, which, you know, were very meandering and chaotic and um, oftentimes improvised, um, they were billed as the Coquettes and Sylvester because her act often stood alone and she was so talented as a vocalist that they were like, well, we have to use her even if it doesn't make any sense with the plot. Right. Um, so they would just like stick her in and um, 
there's testimony that says like you know everyone was so fucked up during the show is that afterward like the only thing anyone could remember was Sylvester's performance <laughs> um, and <laughs> literally the only thing worth remembering um, and then when so the Cockettes had their big moment um, when Truman Capote started going to their shows in San Francisco and then they got booked in New York and it was this whole big grand trip to New York um, and everyone came to see their show and they totally bombed. They totally bombed because they had been partying for like 12 days straight. (laughs) Beforehand. Shout out to Lady Hydrangea. Yes, and Fran Lebowitz, who was definitely there. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, the only um, portion of their New York engagement that got positive reviews was, of course, Sylvester. Um, And I think they were booked for like two weeks. And Sylvester did, um, she did the first six nights. And on the seventh night, she got on stage and said, I apologize for this travesty that I am associated with. And then left the stage. And then never performed with the Cockettes again. They were basically ruined. Um, And that was like a huge turning point for her career because the press actually ate her up. Um, And yeah, so that was a major divergence. Okay, so this is what's going on. Like I said, Sylvester is Jupiter, planet of, like, wisdom, knowledge, and also abundance, like, where the lights are kind of on, in that fifth house of creativity in Scorpio. So we're already, like, you know, Scorpio's wanting control. Sylvester is a Cancer rising, and Mm. it's really an interesting Cancer rising because... A lot of that first house of essential selfhood is actually occupied by Leo. So Sylvester's like a cancer rising, but like just with Leo wanting to fight for power. Mm. And in Sylvester's 12th house of closure, karma, and self-undoing, we have Mars. When Mars is in Cancer, it is uh, what I consider to be an apoplectic placement because Mars is your drive and your individuality and Cancer is all about like, mommy loves you, mommy's going to smother you. It's like very much about enmeshment. Mm. So when you see Mars in Cancer, it's kind of like the gay child who's really angry and and needs to leave home forever (laughs) because they're like, you know, none of you people are are like understanding me and you're smothering me. So it's in Sylvester's 12th house of self undoing. And like, I do think that the Mars and cancer is an interesting theme because there is this sense of like, why are you all stepping on me? I like, let me be. And Mm -hmm. then this first house and second house of self-worth Leo is really wanting to come out and be like, and Sylvester's a Saturn in Leo. So it's really like, I am, I have it all. I know I have it all. I, and like, I can run the show actually. Like, let me just be the boss and stop like subsuming me. Absolutely. She lived her life as a star, even before she was one. Like, truly, um, she, uh, you know, in, in the great faggot tradition, um, she basically formed a girl gang when she was in high school. That was her first click. You know something about that, don't you? I do. I do. Um, yes. It was a tradition I inherited without even knowing it. I mean, that's how, like, primal and sacred... And, like, you know, um, crucial to survival, it really is. Yeah. Um, is, uh, and so she formed this girl gang called the Disco Tays. <laughs> and they, again, like, um, really speaking toward her sort of, like, predilection for opulence and extravagance, they somehow, the Disco Tays, were somehow friends with the housekeeper of Miss Etta James. Okay. And when Etta James was out of town, they all used to party at her house. What? All these teen trannies and fags <laughs> were partying in the 60s at Etta James's house without her knowing. 
And they would all get dressed up in looks and do each other's hair and pads and the whole thing. Um, and uh, I read um, I read the biography of Sylvester called The Fabulous Sylvester by Joshua Gamson. Highly recommend um, for any fans or aspiring fans. Um, and uh, there was a really great description of them in here. The discotés among them, Dooney, Tiki, Monique, Diane, Benedetta, Shelley Newman, Jay Freeman, Barbara, Garitha, Tammy, Shirley Floyd, Jackie Hoyle, Jackie Kennedy, Cleola Balls, Miss Lala, Miss Luella, Miss Marsha, and Larry Hines, their founder and lifelong president, were a cross between a street gang and a sorority. They began gathering in 1963. In their own minds, at least, they were the toast of mid-1960s Los Angeles. This was their fantasy. Everybody wanted to be a discotee, says Diane. They were the most fabulous girls around, and the toughest. They could kick people's asses and look good doing so. They would sometimes kick each other's asses just for looking too good. Incredible. Wow. I know, right? I mean... By the way, kicking kicking one's ass for looking too good is very Virgo. But, yes. um, you know, Sylvester's chart is ruled by her moon. And her moon is in Taurus, which is fabulous. <laughs> I gotta say, uh, shout out to Melissa Rich. Um, you know, the a moon in Taurus to me is like pure goddess placement. It's mm. like... Put, you know, like, put the Empress on a palanquin and, like, ride her through town. Like, yes. it is very receptive and it's very much, like, living the high life. Mm-hmm. Sylvester had the moon in the 11th house of network and community. So there's something really interesting going on, which is that the moon and the Jupiter are in opposition. So there's this clash between... I think Sylvester was never really isolated sylvester was always a part of a scene and a movement and i think that's like where she belonged obviously but i think for her from her point of view she really was this independent artist um who really not only required creative control but with that saturn and leo i think really wanted like independent uh affirmation and I think there's like a really interesting clash there that I think created really great everything. <laughs> but I think it might have been difficult for her, which is like, you are a part of this thing, but also you're really trying to assert yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And especially in, you know, 1970s San Francisco in the Castro, which was dominated by like white fags, yes. you know, who want to look like they're on the cover of Honcho magazine <laughs> in their Wrangler jeans and porno mustaches, um, you know. And then here's Sylvester, who the press loved to describe as plump, bouncing boy, our bouncing boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's uh, insane. And yet, despite that, um, you know. Uh, despite that um, predominant look, she became their idol and their goddess. She yeah. persevered. Yeah. Um, Sylvester had a panoply of lovers, correct? Yes. Many. Yeah. Always many. And was known to be a top. Though she is on record as saying that when she died, she wanted all of her gold jewelry to be melted down formed into a giant phallus and inserted into her ass. (laughs) Which, I mean, what a way to go. And she had a lot of gold jewelry, for the record. Wasn't she buried in a red kimono? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Like, if you're gonna go. I know, truly. um, Go with the smile, as my plastic surgeon (sighs) always says. Okay. Um, So, you know, what I do love... Is that we have a Lilith in the seventh house in Capricorn, seventh house of intimate partnerships, Lilith, the exile, Capricorn, the kind of the state. Um, I just think it makes this really interesting relationship with this San Francisco dominant white gay honcho culture. And I like that a lot of her lovers were from that walk of life. Mm -hmm. I just think it 
there was this really interesting thing with Sylvester where it was like she didn't belong anywhere and she also belonged everywhere. And like, I think there's just something really unique about that. Um, And like her last lover was like a six foot two blonde, right? Right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I just find that really interesting. Um, Sylvester's Leo is really intense because Sylvester's Leo is in that first house of essential selfhood. And we find Pluto Planet of Destruction and Recreation, and Saturn. Planet of kind of rules and hard lessons. Mm. Saturn's in the second house of personal earning, but, you know, when you see Pluto and Saturn so early in, in a person's chart, I just get a sense that Leo, which is that coming out of the Cancer Rising, coming out of the, the fight for a sense of security, the fight for a sense of belonging... Um, and the fight to give something, when we arrive in Leo, which is um, the natural inheritance of your gifts and the settling into your gifts and radiating them, we find these really powerful, hard planets, Pluto Mm -hmm. and Saturn. And, you know, you just get the sense that Sylvester was a success and an immortal star, but, like... I actually love reading about Sylvester's career because I'm like, oh, this makes me feel so good about my career because, (laughs) like, she really had to climb. Like, she is not someone who was discovered at age 22. No. Like, she had, and she had, like, a lot of kind of false starts or, like, she got a record deal, but then that record was it didn't go anywhere. Like, right. But, so I just found like that climb very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know she experienced major success with um, Mighty Real, and then her label was like, "Wait, wait, wait, you're too gay," and they were like, "We can't put out records with you looking so gay because all the straight DJs won't play them." Okay, way to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, good luck with that. Okay. Um, yeah, but no, she. you're absolutely right. She did. And you know, with Pluto in that, in that Leo, it's... Pluto is this planet of destruction and recreation, and I also really get a sense that, like, Sylvester's image and Sylvester's work, especially with Scorpio in that fifth house of creativity was always going to go through new incarnations. And I'm like, I find that for an artist so interesting. And I think that's another reason why you're, you love Grace Jones is like, it's beyond versatility. It's like every album, they're trying to do something different. And like, I love that. But I also think that's probably for someone like Sylvester, who's already like a black queer femme, whatever, to then be like, I'm trying to push myself as an artist and innovate and like not get labeled or like stuck in any one position. I think that must have been really, really difficult. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. I'm sure. And you know, the other thing that's going on is like we have Uranus, planet of upheaval, squaring Sylvester's Mercury. Um, and it, it's also in that 12th house of self-undoing, and it's in Gemini. And Gemini Gemini will start something and then immediately get bored with it and be done mm-hmm. and ready to move on to the next thing. They're so severe. Mm-hmm. And that Uranus in that 12th house of undoing, I'm just like, oh, I get a sense that Sylvester was like, okay, I'm already bored. Like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, in this industry that's like, so, you're a drag queen who does <laughs> disco. And Sylvester's like, I, I've already moved on to the next level of consciousness. Right, yes. And I think she was simultaneously a perfectionist and also very blasé, in a way, mm. about the whole formal process of making music. Because, like, coming from the church, it's yes. all about, like, expressing and emoting. And yes. I think that's why disco was a really good fit for her because it was, you know, about feeling the beat and projecting and using the human voice as an instrument to complement the, the, the beat and the orchestration. Yes. Um, you know, which is another correlation to like gospel and, and church music. Um, 
Uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I really <laughs> love that. Um, I guess I'm curious about where you think Sylvester would have kept going mm. if they had, if she had not died of AIDS. I mean, she would have, you know, discovered auto-tune long before Cher <laughs> did. I think <laughs> that's obvious. <laughs> obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, toward the end of her life, she said, I have no regrets. Like, I did it all. Fuck. Um, I mean, she was very... Fuck. You know, and even though she had a long-term partner, even though, of course, she had lost friends to AIDS, like, I get the impression from her biography that, like, she never stopped going to bathhouses, she never stopped living her life, because, like, sacrificing that yeah. made life not worth living. Um, you know? So, um, you know, she went down like a phoenix. Um, That's that Pluto in the first house. I mean... You know what I think when I look at Sylvester is Sylvester has that Taurus moon and you know I just think about Janet Jackson who's a Taurus sun and like Janet Jackson as a curator to me is like the most interesting aspect mm. of her and I could really see Sylvester like going into that yeah. phase where Sylvester's like this is what the girls are doing and I'm going to introduce it totally totally yeah I ugh. Yeah, I feel like her and Klaus Nomi would be, like, working on an opera <laughs> together. Like, literally. Literally. <laughs> it would be a Carnegie Hall. It would be amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, it, it's, it's really, like, the cancer... Uh, this is the other thing that I think has to be said when you look at a cancer rising... Where does mother play into this? Mm. And I do think because uh, Sylvester had a a Taurus moon in opposition with a Scorpio, Jupiter in the fifth house of motherhood, Taurus and Scorpio is the ultimate family battle because Mm. Taurus wants independence and Scorpio is all about being under the control of the family system. So... A lot of Sylvester's cancer is in that 12th house of closure and karma. So I feel like a lot of Sylvester's, like, it's crazy how prolific. If I were to look at this chart, I would be like, oh, the fight of your life is just, like, individuating and getting away from this, like, powerful Mm. mother presence and, like, finding your your tribe and finding your, like, your home. Mm -hmm. So it's really... I love to look at a chart like this because similar to when I was looking at Tina Turner's chart, I was like, okay, this is someone who would either be crushed or would just like fight their way to the top, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think like a lot of Sylvester's battle was about getting away from the world she came from and individuating. And then it's almost like we're off to the races with Leo, you yeah. know? yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And, you know, I mentioned she was raised in the church. She was also turned out in the church by an older member of the choir. Um, So there's, you know, sort of a fucked up dark parallel there um, with disco, because disco music is all about sex, too. And, you know, there she was getting diddled in the choir when she was, like, 11. Um, Important to note that she did not frame herself as, like some sort of, like, victim, really. You know, she went on record as saying, like, if I hadn't wanted this to happen, it wouldn't have happened. Um, (laughs) So, you know, reclaiming her story. And it's interesting, I was under the impression that she was kind of outed because of this when she was 13. Yes, exactly. So for her to be like, no, no, don't, don't, like, don't put this on me, I think is very... That's very much her her Saturn Leo, um, which is like I need I want to control the way that I'm seen. Right. Like I think that's really yeah strong and, for her. And you know, so she was like, "Fuck you! How dare you judge me? I'm gonna go join a teen girl gang." <laughs> <laughs> okay. When do you think, or why do you think her music like 
when do you think it did click? Like, when do you think her music took off with the mainstream, such as it was? Hmm. Um, I think that she sort of, she cracked the code, you know? Yeah. Um, like, it was, because Mighty Real came out in, like, 78. Um, you know, Grace Jones had already sort of crossed over into the mainstream. Sylvester was certainly very savvy. She was certainly partying a lot. Um, and I think she intuitively knew what people wanted to dance to, and she knew how yeah. to express it. And when she connected with Martha and Azora, her backup singers, they really had a unified sound. Um, mm. Before she was working with them, she was touring with like a male band, sort of doing like a rock. Like she was trying to sort of <laughs> was like... Was that the hot band? Yeah. Okay. She was trying to sort of position herself as like Jimi Hendrix or something. <laughs> um, which, you know, was sort of off. Um, but I think... Uh, I think it was both calculated and intuitive, and it was it was perfect timing. Um, in in seventy eight seventy seven, um, the the temperature was right for it. Yeah. Um... And like, I think, I think disco at that point was starting to get formulaic, and so right. her more authentic approach to it really resonated with people. I mean, Mighty Real is about realness and having sex with men in the dark on the dance floor. <laughs> like, you know, I mean... Yeah. And again, there's that, like, tension and contradiction between, like, realness and fantasy, which I think Ooh. she embodied very well. That's so Jupiter Scorpio to me, because <laughs> Scorpio is all about, like the hard dark truth and jupiter is like abundance like uh everything is wild and fabulous mm -hmm. um i also love i was reading that uh sylvester was very bad with money yes uh and like spent it as she made it which to me is like you know you got a taurus moon who wants to like live the fabulous life Saturn is in this in Leo in the second house of uh, earning and self-worth. It's ruling uh, her sixth house of work, but also her seventh house of like lovers. Mm. So I'm like, oh yeah, she's just wanting to like blow it all on yeah. uh, furs and gold and drugs and fancy Russian wolfhounds. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very um, you know, she's in the Neptune and Libra generation and like Libra is all about like, Especially, it's Libra with this this fucking Taurus moon. Our, Libra and Taurus are both ruled by Venus and are both truly like, if you give me pretty things, I'll be happy. <laughs> and I do think, like, the Neptune-Libra generation, especially if you think about that, like, late 70s, early 80s period, were just, like, really going wild. I mean, mm -hmm. a, a lot of the, like, heavy metal stars of the 80s were Neptune Libra and they were just like, yeah, I just want to like do blow, fuck hot chicks and like buy a boat. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not so integrated. Yeah. Um, and that Neptune is squaring her Mars. So there's just this sense of like, I want my individuality. I want my success. Now that I have it, I'm going to like, what did you say? A wolfhound? Um, yes. A uh, Russian wolfhound. They're called <laughs> Borzois. She... You're right. She, she had, had a Borzois. She had two Borzois. Um, shout out to Lulu Krauss, who's listening. Uh, Borzois <laughs> are Jewish. Uh, they are a. They just. They're our dog. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, where Sylvester has a vast catalog, I think. Where do you recommend people? I can tell you what what got me started, but I'm curious. Where do you recommend people go and where should people get started? I think, I mean, Step 2 was her greatest album. Um, and I think it's a great place to start. Um, there are some beautiful remixes of it, of yeah. course. Uh, and, you know, I listen to it doing the dishes in the shower <laughs> while I'm fucking on the treadmill. Like, 
It's it's good music. I gotta say, I Rock the Box is my mm, album. Mm-hmm. I just think, like, some of the songs, like, Take Me to Heaven, Taking Love Into My yes. Own Hands. Uh, there's a few others on Rock the Box where you're like, whoa. Um, and I also have to say, like, Stars is... Oh, Lovin' yes. is really my the, game. Sex. Oh yeah. my god, sex is so good. And I I really like her later, her more 80s albums too. Call Me, I think, is really good. Yeah, Call Me is um, really Trouble in good. Paradise is like, you know, a beautiful ode to like her friends who died of AIDS mm. and her own personal trauma and like the collective trauma of that moment. Mm. Um, but it's also like danceable, <laughs> which that, by the way, like all disco and pop. I mean, I think disco is more about liberation and pop is more about heartbreak, but like they're not mutually excuse exclusive. The idea that like this music should, could have a darkness to it. And I think like Sylvester always, I mean, what I love about taking love into my own hands is like, it, that is the Venus Virgo where it's like, um, you've been dancing all night long with so many different guys. Like I want like a, mm-hmm. enough of me being ignored. I'm taking something like, mm-hmm. I love this constant, her cancer rising is pretty powerful in a lot of her songs. Like I even have, I who have nothing <laughs> pulled up, but it's also like, great. Yeah. And it's like, there's this Sylvester, I think, does what disco is supposed to do, which is like take you from scarcity to absolute abundance. Yes. And because of Sylvester's Jupiter in Scorpio, which is the this planet of abundance in the sign of truth, it's mighty real. It's mm-hmm. real. It's like in the same way with Grace Jones, where it's like, oh, this is not a gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I would also say, you know, regardless of where you start in her discography, I would say listen to the whole album through because yes. it is, she was such a showman, showwoman, um, that they're very intentionally curated to have, you know, highs and lulls and moments. You know, there's the the energetic moment, the sexy moment, the touching, yes. intimate, emotional moment. Um, and, you know, they complement each other beautifully in an intentional way. So I did write in a recent Nylon piece that, like, the... I think the song of this summer is Stars. Mm. I just think it's, like... And also, I will say, Sam Sparrow does an excellent remix mm. of it. Uh, a cover of it, I think, with Honey Dijon. Um, but I just think, like, that is Sylvester... To me, that's, like, Sylvester's legacy of just, like, coming to my disco universe where, like, everyone is special, but I'm Sylvester. Yeah. (laughs) And don't you forget it, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, listen, this is one of my favorite kind of charts to read because it's, like, you can... The struggle is so intense Mm. and the climb is so intense and the gifts are there but also you're like okay this was going to be a battle from start to finish and that is usually what produces i would say not just a more interesting life but like better work you Mm. know what i mean um and it's just like uh, reading it in retrospect you know the same again with tina turner you're like Okay, like you really earned it, babe, you know? Absolutely. Um, do you have any final thoughts about Sylvester's legacy or actually in terms of stars, Sylvester's place on the constellation of the Transestry? Mm. Like what, where Sylvester falls or what, so besides, you know, we've kind of stated a lot of this, but as a, as a real archivist and historian of the the many trans women who have made this country what it is, um, like where can you speak to where Sylvester falls in the pantheon? Hmm. I think. Um, you know, that Sylvester is 
part of the... I think that Sylvester um, is part of the great tradition of, like, not being bothered. You know, that's really... That's sort of, you know, in spite of of the the struggle that's inherent in her chart and in in spite of the ups and downs in her career, um, you know, she was very committed to her vision, to being herself, to avoiding categorization and labels, being pigeonholed. Mm. Um, And, you know, I, I mean, obviously... We don't know how she would have identified um, in terms of her gender, um, but I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that she's giving us some non-binary <laughs> early, <laughs> early NB <laughs> um, vibes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and was really, um, you know, a beacon of queer joy and black joy um, at a time when, like, there wasn't any of that in the industry, in the music industry, in the entertainment industry. I mean, we think about, like, all of the barriers that, like, Lil Nas X is breaking down today, and it's like, you know, Sylvester was um, very much um, a predecessor to a lot of what Lil Nas X is doing, um, and it didn't get, you know, nearly as much praise or credit for it. I love that. I, you know, what, what really was so interesting about the Tina Turner documentary is it confirmed everything we already know about the media, which is after she did, after she spoke out against Ike and became a star, all any, anyone in the press ever wanted to ask her about was, what was it like being beaten by your husband, getting away from him, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, like, I hate even saying these names, but like, <laughs> you know, with someone like Sam Smith or Demi Lovato, it's not a joyful. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that. And, and, you know, even Beyonce and Rihanna, who rule. Non-binary icons. In yeah, non-binary own icons. <laughs> You know, the amount of narratives that get put on them about like, oh, Beyonce's doing an anthem about a woman who's been cheated on, whatever, whatever, whatever. I just think Sylvester does have that thing Lil Nas X is now cultivating, which is like, I'm, I'm doing it. Like, yeah. I, uh, I'm here to spread joy. I'm a star and I am this music. Yeah. And like, I, yeah. And I am a goddess and I'm the devil. <laughs> Yeah, and she really can't be, like, shackled with some sort yeah. of, like, uh, like a label in that way. Not a label, but these, like, these storylines. Yeah. You know, I, I love what you're saying, which is, like, yeah, she really couldn't be bothered. Like, she was there to just, and this is really Virgo to me, which is, like, she was there to just, like, give this thing that is the best possible, and that's better than anything you've ever seen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um... Okay. (laughs) Harry, where can people follow you? And I would love if you could tell us. We are going to be doing more on this podcast with your big project, but I'd love if you could introduce it to our listeners because it's major. (laughs) Thank you, David. Naturally, um, you can find me on Instagram at skirtsuit. Um, The profile picture looks suspiciously like Julia Roberts, but it is in (laughs) fact me. Do not be alarmed. Um, and uh, the, the project, the aforementioned project, Legends of Drag, is on Instagram at Legends of Drag. Um, and uh, Legends of Drag is a forthcoming book um, spotlighting drag queen elders in cities across the country. Um, and it is a collaboration with my dear friend, Devin Antheus, who is a floral designer, writer, sp- spirit worker, witch, um, friend of the pod and fr- <laughs> has healed me personally. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, so it's a photo book. Um, we're co-authoring the text together. Uh, we're going to have... And Harry photographs yes. every single queen. I'm more of a creative director, really. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just show up and press a button. Nothing impressive about that. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to have nearly 80 portraits. Oh um, the book will be out next spring. Um, so if you want to get on my mailing list, just send me a DM. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm so excited to share the work with people. I've sort of been sitting on my hands with it for like three years. Um, so it's, it's almost come to fruition. I'm very excited. Um, and yes, watch this space. There will be more Legends of Drag, uh, happening conjunct the David Odyssey universe. And you can also possibly see if ever you're lucky and you see the drag queen Amber Alert, uh, you know, look twice because it might be <laughs> it might be a special luminaries guest uh, from the Sylvester episode. Yes. Well, I mean, I am sitting here in a sequin gown um, for those of you <laughs> at home with um, milky pendulous breasts, uh, like Elizabeth Taylor, <laughs> <laughs> Betty Bacall. <laughs> Exactly, darling. Julie Newmar. Julie Newmar. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, moi. Thanks for having me. The Luminaries is made with love in New York City. Art by Greg Kozatek and music by Henry Kapersky. Thank you so much for listening. I would so, so, so appreciate if you could leave a review, a five-star rating, etc., etc., on iTunes. I don't know if you can rate things on Spotify, but you get the idea. Tell your friends. You know where to find me. I will see you next Tuesday. With all my love, David Odyssey. <laughs>